Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 99, Practical Advice for Running Gaming Events. Recorded Thursday, November 17th of 2016, with your hosts, Grant, Peter, and Mike Burnham. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Mike. We've got Mike back with us. Mike Perna. Every, you know, every 33 episodes or so, I show up. You return as foretold. <laughs> as according to the prophecy. Exactly. <laughs> foretold in the numeric numbering of our podcast episodes. Yes. Also the tablet I had carved, but we don't talk about the tablet or look closely at it. No one's allowed to look at the tablet. You can kind of feel it in the dark. It's safe. <laughs> Mike, for those of our listeners who joined us, I don't know, 32 episodes ago or <laughs> sooner, introduce yourself. Tell us about you and Game Store Profits and Inroads Ministries and all the other cool stuff you do. Uh, my name is Mike Perna. I am the president of Inroads Ministries. It's quite possible that you're listening to this on our site because we are blessed to have the guys at Saving the Game syndicated through us. We started our podcast called Game Store Profits about five years ago. And we are on episode 140 now, which is crazy. Yep. Right now, well, we started with myself and my friend Luke. Now it is uh, myself, uh, Jeff Romo, and Daniel Fisher. And we just talk about the games we're playing, a lot of board games, a lot of role-playing games. And uh, then usually about the 30-minute mark, we kind of transition to talk about how the games we're playing impact life and faith and all that kind of stuff are our understanding of God. And that's pretty much how that was and how it's been for the past five years. That's only part of our ministry, really. Uh, our greater ministry is partly there's an online portion of that where we are creating content that people can, you know, use as reference or to it just gets people thinking on that deeper level with the games that they're playing, our theology of play. Uh, we're also pushing a lot now for tips for people who want to use gaming in a ministry context. So not just, hey, you know, the youth want to do a game day, but to literally use gaming as ministry. And so that's a huge portion of what we do. It's actually the main force of what we're doing right now. And uh, yeah, it's been crazy. It's been a crazy ride over the past two and change years. Hopefully we're going to keep seeing the ministry growing. God's been doing some awesome stuff in it. And uh, so far he's let me continue doing it. So that that's the, the long and the short of it. Awesome. We've obviously been fans of uh, the work you guys do for quite some time. Not quite since Inroads Ministry started, but certainly... Fairly early on, really. It was it was fairly shortly after we started the website that somebody I can't remember how I got pointed to you guys, but like you should listen to these guys. I'm like, oh my goodness! And I think the funny thing about it was was that I think if I remember correctly, I reached out to you guys saying, "Hey, do you guys want to do a show together one time?" And before I knew it, you're like, "Here's our RSS feed. Do you want to be on? Do you want us to be on your site?" And I'm like, "Yes, absolutely, yes." I do not remember exactly how that happened, to be perfectly honest. I like, I don't I don't either. <laughs> I don't remember if it was like, hey, can we syndicate you? Or it was like, hey, do you want to join us? I I don't know. Who cares? It's yeah. been it's yeah. been fun these past 
66 odd episodes and more knowing you guys. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been really good. I'd like to think so. As I've often said, one of the best parts of having a podcast is other podcasters in the same sphere. Absolutely. All right, so we got a couple other things to talk about. Peter had a, a topic that he wanted to discuss real quick before we get into things. I should mention real quick, we're going to be talking with Mike about planning a game event. Uh, we'll be getting to that, you know, as our, our main topic, but we have this topic from Peter. And of course, we'll have a Patreon backer question and some scripture and a little thing I want to talk about. So Peter, go ahead. I'm not sure this qualifies as a full-blown topic, but I got some feedback from the guy that originally put the whole uh, players taking notes things in my mind after... For those who didn't hear it, remind everyone what this players taking notes thing was. Okay, so uh, during, I believe, our Patreon question in our last episode, one of the things that got brought up as a piece of kind of general GMing advice as we were answering that was the idea of having a player take notes. This idea was one that I'd gotten from a previous GM of mine, a guy by the name of Devin who listens to the show. After our episode went live this Tuesday, he messaged me and was like, hey, you know, I've got some more specific information about why I do that and kind of what I think works about it if you're interested. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Because I was kind of guessing as to why he did it and he filled me in and there's actually a bit more depth to it than I had really counted on. So, okay. Uh, I think I'm probably just going to read from the Facebook conversation here so I don't miss anything. But uh, Yeah, go for it. Said, and to answer your question about why I had someone take notes, first it lets me know what the players are picking up on. So if I dropped clues and they didn't make it to the notes, I could revisit some of those clues or others. Secondly, it allows players to have access to information which they might otherwise forget week to week. It's a lot of fun and very helpful as a player to page through the notes every once in a while and see how things are resolving or resolved. And sometimes those initial clues that were missed are then looked at in a new light and with new information so that the players realize the significance. And thirdly, it's nice to have a recap of what happened as a GM, as well as a player to remind me what is going on and to help get into the mood. And then he also mentioned that they had first started taking notes when he was playing a game in college. Uh, It was the first time that he'd had a GM with an in-depth story. One night they sat back and talked a few hours about what was happening in the game and we all came to the realization that we really needed to take notes. Once every few months we would take some time and review the notes to see if there were any loose ends we wanted to look into as our players or to update our what to do list. It added a great deal of focus to our game. Hmm. And uh, he also added a note. He said, oh, and one more thing. It's great to see uh, nostalgia. It's great to see the players read through and say something like, oh, yeah, I remember that. So I thought that was all great. It's it's uh, useful gaming advice, and I just wanted to make sure that we laid it out there and didn't forget it. So Oh, yeah. Good call. All right. <sighs> Enough for me. Uh, you guys have some other stuff, so... Yeah, I got a couple of things <laughs> I want to touch on real quick. First of all, wrapped up my little uh, inspector's two-session one-shot, as it were, yesterday. That was a lot of fun. Had everybody pretty much dying laughing because of things my wife said. That's always good. Interestingly, I'm not sure Inspectors was a huge hit as a system. The system is not immaculate, and we have a a number of players who really like the art of game systems. They want to get in there with interesting mechanics and play around with those, and Inspectors is a little loose, and frankly, I made it looser because I didn't like some of the mechanics and just kind of went theater of the mind with it. So while Ghostbusters franchise that does paranormal pest control in general is an awesome game, I'm not certain I'm going back to Inspectors because, frankly, I could do the same thing in any other game. 
I feel like Gumshoe would work better for that. Gumshoe would, honestly, Fate would, anything Rules Light would work great, because the big draw of Inspectors is this confessional. The reality show style cutaway to someone talking in front of a green screen, foreshadowing what's going on, right? The person's talking directly to the audience. Yeah, and I feel like that's a, a mechanic that had a very specific place and time that has now passed. Well, the thing is, it's not mechanical. It's just, hey, this is what's going to happen. And we all go, all right, well, that's been established. Neat. And it's an element that had a certain place in time. Reality TV has kind of mercifully moved off to the side a little bit, from what I understand. So Yeah, I think it's, it's a little old, but at the same time, getting back to that, the foreshadowing thing, I think works really well. Well, you also have to deal with, you know, what the group wants, because I I can list a couple people that I play with that if you go with a mechanics light heavy story game, which, you know, inspectors seems to be, they would thrive in it. Mm-hmm. Like that would be the greatest thing ever. In fact, it would be harder for me to try and get them back to a number crunchy system with lots of crazy mechanics after doing that, because literally it would just be let's sit down for an hour or so and just tell stories, and they would go nuts for that. Well, the the annual trouble with Rose game at Fear the Con is like that, but I don't know. I, I personally really enjoy that kind of game when it's in a contained space, but if it's going to be more of a campaign or an extended thing, I really do start really appreciating what a, a good set of rules can do for you. I agree. And for a one-shot, it worked fine. Yeah. And again, there are players who just... They want to change systems or explore new systems all the time because, and I am like this too, I like figuring out new ways to resolve situations and tell stories through mechanics and see what the the interchange of mechanics and story can lead to. The list of games that we threw out as things we want to run soon are not necessarily story related. It's, okay, let's try Don't Rest Your Head because it has cool mechanics and Fellowship, which is a Powered by the Apocalypse game oh, hey, we've never tried an uh, Apocalypse World system game. Let's give that a try. Fellowship, for the record, is kind of the the Fellowship of the Ring style game where you are playing the chosen one of your race who joins a fellowship of people on a quest to defeat a big bad. Okay. And what's great about that is you're the only one of your race in that group and you have carte blanche to describe your race and come up with... Come up with everything about them and their history and their personalities and and you know so it, it's kind of got some generic fantasy trappings built in okay but if you want your elves to be something wildly different than your standard tolkieny elves go for it it's kind of neat but that's a system that we've never played with and that's the draw for a lot of these players now there are other players in my group who don't care about the system and would be perfectly happy to improv for three hours. Yeah, I'm kind of with the ones that want to try some new systems. I mean, Don't Rest Your Head is on my short list. Anything Mm -hmm. in the Apocalypse World system is on my short list, because I've never tried those. And I I can definitely appreciate that as well, because I find myself, especially because of the work we're doing with Inroads, I have all this stuff coming in, and... Every time I see something, it fills my head with, oh, we could totally run this for the channel. Oh, it would be so good to put a couple videos of this up. And so yeah. my my head is full of, like, like I'm, sit- I'm sitting there and I go, oh, Dogs in the Vineyard. I want to play that. There's some deep stuff we can get into in Dogs in the Vineyard. Oh, somebody just donated all the stuff from Invisible Sun. That should be coming at the end of the year. Oh, we could totally do that. Oh, so, and so I totally understand that concept. 
Yeah, talking mm-hmm. talking with you, Mike. Uh, the Cipher System is also on. Oh, there. it's and so good! It's my favorite. Dogs system. in the Vineyard very much. <laughs> Cipher System's my favorite system. Not gonna lie. Yep. So anyway, that was just an interesting thing that came up out of this game. It was like, you know, it went well. We all had fun in the in the middle of it, but I'm not sure that it really clicked to the point where everyone's gonna want to go back to it. So we'll see what happens. On the bright side, um, one of the guys who I've been gaming with for more than a decade who has never run a game, has decided to run this Fellowship game. So I'm excited to see him step up to the GM plate for the first time. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, that'll be good. There's this kind of pervasive, like, uh, meme or trope in the gaming sphere about, you know, first-time GMs always you know, screwing up and stuff. It's not true. No, a lot of, of the not. time by somebody... By the time somebody is ready to sit in that particular chair, they have something very specific in mind. It's like a first novel from a really good author a lot of the time. It might not be their most polished work, but it's got all of their best ideas and stuff in it and can often be very, very cool. Usually if I'm telling the the, the GM that their first time they're going to screw it up, it's because, in fact, I just did this. I went down to see a buddy of mine who recently moved into the New Jersey area, so I was super happy. Because before this, he and his family were living in Jakarta, Indonesia. So he went from being a 12-hour time difference to an hour's drive away. And so nice. he's wanted me to teach him D&D for years. But it's because he was in Jakarta, it was impossible to connect. Sure. And so now that he's here, he's like, you got to do it. So I'm like, all right. So we planned. I, I drove down there. Uh, my wife and I went down and hung out with the family. And I ran a one shot of D&D 5th edition for him and his buddies. Literally before I left, like three of them had ordered books. And they're now in like their second session. And I'm still getting emails. And they're like, "I am I doing this right? Is it OK? Go, Don't worry. You're going to mess it up. <laughs> You're brand new to this stuff. You're fine. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And and that sense of, am I doing this right, never actually goes away. Right, exactly. you know. Yeah. Well, and the the thing that, you're right, it never actually goes away, but the thing that does kind of creep its way into the back of your mind is, this is role-playing. I can mess it up, Mm -hmm. and it will probably still be fine. Oh, yeah. It's the old acting trick that says, you know, if you screw up, just keep going. They don't know you screwed up. Yeah. And when in doubt, say, all right, guys, good session. Let's uh, let's come back to this next week. Think, think, think furiously. Think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Trust me, I've been doing a lot of that with our D&D game. <laughs> yeah, uh, something tells me we probably didn't ha- handle Sal exactly the way you were expecting us to. No, I you handled Sal the friendly beholder exactly how I expected you oh, to. Oh, okay. Well, that's Sal good, the friendly beholder? Well, well, he was technically a spectator, but... Yeah, technically he's a low-level beholder called a spectator. Technically he's really insane and kind of the major domo slash butler of this extraplanar dungeon I had them trapped in. Oh, I love everything about this. Yeah, I'm going to have to do a campaign write-up on this at some point. I hope so, because I want to hear about this. <laughs> I kind of started with the idea of how do I do a dungeon crawl where they start inside the dungeon and try and get out. Nice. Yeah, now I can say that I had a beholder make me sandwiches. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I'm just going to let that tantalizing detail just dangle out there as an incentive for our listeners to badger you for the next campaign report until you do it. Mwah, it's beautiful. <laughs> it was a good sandwich, too. Well yeah, plated. <laughs> yep. And that's not like a euphemism or talking about sandwiches in a weird way. He nope. did a really good job plating that sandwich and serving it. <laughs> yeah. Which is impressive because he didn't have opposable thumbs. Yeah. 
All right. So a couple other things I want to talk about before we get into our main topic. Sorry, Mike. Oh, no Um, worries. We are going live with our charity drive for the Madonna Group December 1st. So about two days after this episode drops. Uh, We're only going to be running this for 30 days just to try and compact things a little bit. So if you want to support an awesome group, you really should. The Madonna Group, uh, which Mike is on the board of. I am a board member. I've been so bad. I went to my first meeting uh, with them and just to to get inducted and because of various health issues and scheduling issues i haven't been back to a single meeting since so I'm, i keep saying i'm the bad new guy but <laughs> I, I am on the board and so you know they haven't kicked me out yet fair enough tell you what since we've got you here why don't you tell everyone what the bodana group does uh the big thing about the bodana group is that I mean, you guys have said it time and time again. They spend a lot of time using games. It, you know, when I first heard about them through you guys, actually, it was entirely role-playing game focused, at least from what, what I was hearing. But having met Jack and Jen and been on, you know, in the board meeting and talked to some of the other people on the board, it's really just gaming in general. Yes, there is a heavy role-playing focus, but they do a lot of really cool stuff using games for personal growth and development as well as a way to to really get at and in I want to say you know clinical terms because they are professionals they're not just hey we want to do nice hippy dippy counseling stuff like right they, it's not happy fun times all the time no it is it they are doing hardcore solid work and uh, they're using games to kind of you know anybody who's ever played a role playing game for any ex- extensive period of time knows that. While there is a bit of distance between you and your character, there are some times that stuff from you bleeds into that character and stuff that you don't even acknowledge about yourself is clearly seen if somebody is just there to look at and point it out to you. I've always said that you cannot make a character for a role-playing game that doesn't have some part of you in it. Right. And so... These guys, because of their background, because of the work that they do, they look at this and they're able to walk somebody through the process of processing what they're going through in this role-playing environment. It is super fascinating and I'm learning a lot already and I look forward to continuing to learn a lot because these guys do phenomenal work and are are using games in a way that I think a lot of people wouldn't have thought of. But everybody who hears about it goes, wow, that would kind of be awesome. Yeah, they are fantastic people. They do a lot of great work for kids and adults. You go out to thebodonagroup.org, which I'll link in the show notes, of course. And in the show notes, there will be a link to our charity drive, as well as hopefully something on our site, stgcast.org, pointing you there. And that kind of ties neatly into the next thing that we've got in our list of things to talk about before the show. One of the other things that we do with the Bodana Group, besides trying to help them raise funds around the holidays, is we are involved in their Game to Grow initiative. Uh, we had the panel that we were talking about in our last couple of episodes. Uh, we had our friends uh, Jack Birkenstock and Derek White, who have been on episodes of this podcast. Mm-hmm. And then we were also joined by Sarah Lynn Bowman, who is a... RPG and LARP researcher, and by Shivam Bhatt, who is a Hindu cleric. And we had a very interesting discussion about gaming and spirituality that I would heartily encourage you all to look up. Frankly, it went better than I could have ever expected it to, and I was expecting it to go decently well. So yeah, go track that down. It is well worth the, what, about 100 minutes or so that it's going to take to watch it? 
hour and 47 minutes and a few seconds. Yeah. And I will link it in the show notes, uh, possibly even embed it. And honestly, you will probably see it on our feed before then. Yeah. All of the videos that have been done, they're all roundtable podcasts, panel discussions, essentially. Kind of like what you'd find at a convention, except with the exception of Peter and I, they're all pretty interesting people. Uh, they're so much better than we are. My goodness. I think it's more that they're all just way better educated than we are, and we have a little bit of an inferiority complex about it. None of them have ever made us feel anything other than welcome or like equals. So I, no, I was about to say, I true. don't know the, the third individual, but I do know Derek, and I, I've met Jack, and they're some of the most humble gentlemen I've ever met on the planet. So yeah, I, I totally can understand how that would be amazing just to to have that panel so i will i will throw my voice in to say yes you should go look i haven't even seen it yet but you should definitely go look at it we all basically agreed at the end of it that we had so much to talk about we needed to do another one of these on the same topic yeah and the thing that was also really heartening about this is that um by the end of it especially considering the fact the way that grant and i were moderating it there really wasn't a lot of back and forth verbally so people were just kind of communicating in the chat i have a feeling a lot of those panelists are probably going to keep track of each other too which was kind of cool to see yeah that was great and we're hoping to have shivam on at some point yeah don't know what to talk and about yet but he was such an awesome yeah sarah as well uh but you know they were both so awesome we're like all right we got to add them to the rotation yeah the, the thing is we um, we kind of neglected Sarah a little bit because we've already interacted with her so much through Game to Grow and some other stuff. That's true. Yeah, Shivam was totally new to us. I'd heard him on one podcast before, but he'd done so well that it was like, okay, this is this is definitely our guy for a, a wider perspective. And yeah, that was... <laughs> that was really good. Yeah. Yeah, so keep an eye out for that. Check our social media feeds and the show notes. I will make sure that you can find that video. There's not a ton of us in it, but that's okay. Honestly, yeah. once the guests start talking, you're not going to miss us. Trust me. You won't. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah. Uh, last thing I want to mention, and this is going to be one of those things that will have happened by the time you hear this. Uh, I just found out this week that there's a biggish fandom convention happening in my hometown, Greenville, South Carolina. It's happening this weekend. Uh, Three-day multi-genre fandom slash culture con. Uh, think Dragon Con, but smaller. Happening here in Greenville. So I'm nice. excited. I'm going to check that out. And next episode, hopefully give you a little rundown on what happened. I'm not going to be there too long. I'm not going to be able to get out there Friday or Sunday and really won't be able to get out there Saturday morning because of some other engagements I've got. So a couple hours there, just kind of scoping it out. There is a gaming track, which is pretty nice. I'm, I'm sure I won't have time to hop in, but there are people running some scheduled games and some open games, and they've got an interesting assortment of panelists. So hopefully I'll be able to tell you about something awesome. Nice. And maybe next year, if it does well, we can, I don't know, actually plan for it. Wouldn't that be something? That would be. Okay, so we've got a Patreon question to get to. Uh, Mike, do you have a die handy, or do you want me to roll the... Uh, if you give me a second, I will have one. Leave it Leave it to me, I'm never without one. Right, of course. Wait, I'm looking for a 20-sider. It's a 19. All right, so this is a question from uh, longtime backer Doug Hagler. Aw, oh, Doug, I love Doug. Doug's great. Uh, and actually, I think we're going to be talking about some stuff you've done with Doug. I have actually. Mistaken. I, I yep. went out to Phoenixville to do an event with Doug. All right. So we'll keep that in mind. But uh, Doug has this question for us. What, if anything, do you think is simply off limits for a game? Is the answer different if we're talking you personally or for gaming in general? Mike, do you have thoughts on this? 
you know, I can't really speak to specifics because I don't think there's any way that I can nail down a specific thing that crosses like every situation. I really think that it all comes down to you have to be aware of the people playing. It seems obvious, but everybody deals with their own stuff and they they process differently. Some people want to run into an issue to to deal with it and move past it. Some people if you if you bring them to that place, they'll collapse. I can't say that there's you know, a cookie cutter way to do this. For me, I, I don't, I'm not the kind of guy who runs like a con game. So if I'm running a game, I at least vaguely know part of, of what everyone's doing. Or if I don't know the people well enough, I keep everything just, I don't push a boundary. I just say, all right, we're just going to have a fun time. We're going to have a nice story and, and you're going to, you know, beat some things up or, or, you know, do some cool skill stuff or whatever. But I think that gaming, maybe it's because of the fact that, you know, you know, I just got done talking about the Bodana group and maybe they're rubbing off on me, but I think that, that gaming provides a unique opportunity to step into that stuff. Like I know for me personally, I've been able to process a lot of crazy things because like there was one character, it was the last character I played while my game group was still running fourth edition. Ugh. Um, but the last character I played when we were in fourth, uh, he was straight up evil. He was lawful evil, and he was the, the worst kind of evil in my opinion, which is he was evil uh, to the point where he thought that everyone would be better off if he was in charge. Like, he was evil for the sake of everyone else's benefit. Mm -hmm. And I was doing terrible things. Like, my character was was literally, like, leading good men of God off to slaughter. Because it, it would benefit him. There were several times where I found myself going, this makes me very uncomfortable. There were times when I would literally have my head in my hands going, I can't believe Mycroft is going to make me do this, but he's gonna. So I think there's value going into that place because it taught me a lot about the nature of evil and the pursuit of power. Being in that uncomfortable place gave me a lot of really interesting insight. But at the same point, you know... Ultimately, as great as this is and as powerful as this experience is, it's a game. We're here to enjoy each other's company and to enjoy the experience. Now, part of that enjoyment can be development and growth, but that you know, doesn't mean, you know, you're turning the screws on somebody. So I think you really do have to know the people in order to push into that boundary. But if you know them, I think you have the room then to enter into that place. And I want to pick up kind of on something that you said there. I th I think there is a list of things that are off limits, and those things are going to be different at every table. Right. Anything that's done for gratuity's sake, anything that is um, upsetting to somebody else at the table, and I would say anything that is particularly ugly that you don't have some kind of higher purpose for in mind. I might be a little too strict in that interpretation, but that's kind of where I come down. My approach to this is that the things that are off-limits are different at every table, and certainly if you're running like a con game or something, you're probably just going to want to play it safe. At most tables, there are some topics that are off-limits, and that's mostly because they take a great deal of emotional energy to talk about and deal with, unless you're just reveling in those and going, woo, isn't this fun to be evil? And that's no fun. 
people keep trying evil campaigns and they never actually have fun with it. The thing about gaming, play is a way to explore topics safely. It's not real. It can get very emotionally intense, but it's not as intense as the real thing. It's a safe place to try things out, at least if it's a healthy table. I can't say that there's anything off-limits forever. My table has some things that just don't come up, but I also don't need to talk about them. I, I think maybe in addition to that, if you're having trouble figuring out where those lines for your group are, we did an episode on lines and veils. Go give that yep. a listen. Just search our site for it. It comes up right away. And we'll link it in the show notes, as we always do with this kind of thing. Oh, yeah. All right, so that was our question from Doug. Doug, thank you very much. We have another one from you, Doug, but I don't know. Keep your backlog going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're good about that. Doug is always good for good questions. Oh, yeah. All right, so that's uh, our Patreon question. If you want to get your own question heard on the show, go to patreon.com slash saving the game and support us there. Uh, we're changing things up right now. It's um, at the $5 level, you get to ask a question. I think we're going to drop that down to, if you back us at all, you get to ask us a question and put it on our table and we roll on it. Shall we move on to our scripture for this episode? Oh, sure. All right. Who wants to take this first piece from Proverbs? I'm gearing up for Ecclesiastes, so all right, can take I'll take it. the Proverbs then. All right. So this is Proverbs 16.3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. I got Ecclesiastes 3.1. There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under this under the heavens. And finally, we have Luke 14, verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? So, we had Mike on. Well, okay, because it's episode 99, it seemed like a really good time to have Mike on. Let's be serious. But it's also because we have a topic that I've been wanting to talk with Mike about for a while. Mike, you run game days. I do. It's kind of a major part of what I do. <laughs> I know nothing about running a game day or a gaming event. And it seems like now that you're here, we should really ask you for practical advice on putting together a game day. Because if we do want to run something in a, a public space, in a private space, you know, a little mini convention, a church game, something fun, a bachelor party, I've been to those, trust me. I, I just had one of those yeah. a while back. We we might as well ask the guy who's learned all the hard lessons and not have to learn them ourselves. Exactly. So, Mike, if I wanted to run a public gaming event, not a full-on convention per se, but a public game day, what do I do? The big thing is figuring out what the game day is what it's looking like, what your audience is, what your intentions are. Because like many things in existence, once you establish what it's supposed to be, the rest of it is just filling in the, the blanks and the gaps, allowing it to be what it's supposed to be. It also helps you to, to pare away those things that are going to get in the way of it being what it's supposed to be. So the very first thing, whenever somebody says they, they want to do a game day, the very first thing I ask is, what do you hope this game day accomplishes? Because okay. it affects a whole lot of the rest of the things that I would have them think about. So for us, even, even within the context of our ministry, there are vastly different opportunities when people say they want to do a game day. By and large, the most popular and the most sought after one is outreach. People want to get people who aren't in the church into the church, let them feel comfortable, let them feel they have a place there. That is the most wide and most requested option. 
for that one, you're going to want something that's super light. You're going to want a lot of different options because you, you can't judge who's coming in. You're going to want to have a lot of people who are ready to teach things because you're not necessarily just going to get Joe Gamer who knows all this stuff already. So you need to make sure that you have people that are willing to teach. Uh, you need to make sure that you have – it's sad that I have to say this, but in this day and age, we especially have to say it. You want to make sure that you're providing a, a safe environment that people don't feel awkward and and anxious about being there. So you need to make sure that people know that everyone is – is part of this event that you're not going to kick people out because of who they are. Let's let's stop and dig into that a little bit more because I think this is an important thing especially these days as you alluded to and let's let's get some specifics on that one. So how do you go about making people feel safe when you're doing a game day? The biggest thing is to just straight up say that to be like like this is a place where everyone is welcome. Like everything that I do uh, when I'm doing that kind of outreach event, all of our posts, all of our event pages, our meetup page, everything that I do to try and bring people into this event says, this is for everyone. The door is open. The tables are set and you have a place there if you want it. Do you have a written code of conduct for that? I don't as of yet have a written code of conduct, mostly because our events tend to be on the smaller side. So I haven't had to formalize it. I basically just mm. meet with my volunteers and say, Hey guys, this is how it works. Okay. Um, but the general understanding of, of how we run this is that we always go with the people who are feeling uncomfortable. Our goal is to, to make them feel comfortable and safe to, to let them know that they have a place that they chose to come here into a place that, especially because a lot of the times we're doing this, we're doing it in churches. So they came to a place that they don't normally associate with, a place where some of them have brought a lot of baggage to even set into the doors. Like we've had a bunch of people joke with the fact that they're surprised they haven't caught fire from the fact that they set, they set foot in a church. There's already this backlog of stuff. And so our whole, our whole communication is welcoming. It's bringing them in. And if somebody raises a stink, we obviously want to address that issue, to speak to the people involved and to get to the heart of it. If it's something that, that one of my staff people or myself witnessed, it becomes easy for me to say that. The second somebody comes down and says, I'm not comfortable with them being here because of who they are, I'm going to say, what did they do? If they did something to you, then you have every right to come to me and complain. But if you're just upset, because they don't look or act or talk like you. I'm going to tell you, you need to calm down. Right. Thankfully, that hasn't been an issue. To date, we haven't had anybody that has, in any of our events, uh, no one has caused this fuss. By and large, gamers, as a rule, are generally pretty awesome. But, you know, I, I'm always there to say that I, I will defend everyone's right to be there. And that is, is made clear in everything that we do. Good. Happy to hear it. And that's, that's useful advice. But to, to kind of go back to planning, like we've also done things where uh, we've done small group stuff. Like people are like, okay, how do I use games to connect with these people? Or, or how do I, I, I have my small group Bible study and I wanted to use games. That is a completely different vibe. There's a completely different understanding. You use different games. You use different processes. There are things that we would do in that situation that we would never even dream of doing in an outreach public facing event. 
it literally changes everything. So understanding what the purpose is, is a huge part of defining what the game day looks like. I can see that. So once you've got that down, then you can start going more into the particulars. You can start saying things like, like, what kind of games are we going to have here? Now, for some people, it becomes like a shotgun approach because they're just like, all right, these are the 15 games that I own. So we're just going to bring these. Mm -hmm. If you're doing more with people who are in the hobby and are dealing with collector disease. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you mean, Mike. And have way more games than, than they can bring out. Like what I refer to as the Inroads Traveling Library, a.k.a. my game collection. The Inroads Traveling Library currently sits at right about 100 games. And there are events that I bring all of it. There are games that, I, like, when we do our, our big fundraiser event, is called TavernCon, I bring the show. I bring everything. But there are other events that we do, like, I'm just running a, we're doing the last of the year. Uh, my home church does a game day. We do it once a month. There are several of these games that I won't bring, either because they don't fit or because they're really annoying to transport. Like, uh, I have Star Wars Armada which is a a miniatures game where you're basically pushing around little starships all over the table. It's a fun game. It's an amazing game. I don't have the incredibly expensive but really cool transportation stuff that people use to, to bring that from place to place. So it's really annoying and really delicate to to transport these little miniatures. Yeah, and if you do something like a, a traditional war game with terrain, that's just horrendous to transport. That is another thing. Yeah, you're always... Trying to figure or even out. just a giant board game like Twilight Imperium. Well, again, that has to do with a lot of, of the practical stuff because you have to think about how long is this event going to be? How many people are you expecting? Um, for instance, uh, you mentioned Twilight Imperium. Uh, this game day that I run at my home church, it's four hours long. That's like half a Twilight that's Imperium That's like half game. a Twilight Imperium game. Yeah. <laughs> and so... You might have it set up by the time that's over. Right. Yeah, there's that. But even then, let's knock it down to a level below that. There's a game called Eclipse, which is not the same as Twilight Imperium, but it has a very similar vibe to Twilight Imperium. That game plays out in like two to four hours. Now, I can bring Eclipse with me, but I have to realize that for me to have that game... That means I'm basically taken out of the event. Hmm. I would be playing Eclipse, which I love because I love big 4X games. But as the primary teacher for a lot of these events, it's hard for me to bring something that weighty because all my attention goes there. I can't be greeting people. I can't be answering questions. I can't be talking, which is the major thrust of our event is making you know real human connection i would be playing eclipse let me ask you this do you do any vetting of games that other people bring more often than not i i at least have heard of the games people bring uh i try very hard uh this is just me though it is a helpful tip uh i try very hard to be at least mostly up to speed on what's out there now granted the world of board gaming is so ridiculously huge these days, and there are so many indie companies and Kickstarters and whatever, that it's impossible to know everything. Mm -hmm. But I constantly am watching the Dice Tower for their reviews. I listen to a collection of podcasts to get reviews on what's out in the gaming world. Uh, I'm 
trying, I'm growing a number of, of publishers and people like that that are out there. Uh, and I'm in contact with them to see what they're putting out there. I try to get at least a general vibe. And so it's rare that somebody's brought a game and I go, I've never heard of this before. Currently, we only have one game that is straight up off limits. Cards Against Humanity? That is Cards Against Humanity. The reason being is because because of the fact that our events uh, are generally slated as quote-unquote family-friendly, we want to at least be cognizant of the fact that there may, there might be little kids there. Right. And so that game that game makes me uncomfortable. I don't block it because it makes me uncomfortable. I block it because it makes other people uncomfortable. Right. The the other one I've heard of being uh, very iffy is Chaos of the Old World. You know, some people would have an issue with that. I don't. I've never had to deal with it. Um, that would be one that I would kind of do on a case by case basis. Mm-hmm. Um, I would probably get the get the the temperature of the room, as it were see what they're up to. Um, Cause like I said, I don't mind pushing a boundary if it's going to potentially lead to something positive or an, or an interesting right. discussion. So I'd kind of take the temperature of the room. Likewise, there's a game that's on our, we have a, a list of games that are Bible based that uh, are actually worth playing as opposed to so many that aren't. Hmm. Um, and one of them is a game called a game for good Christians. And if anybody's ever played that, they would probably think me hypocritical for banning cards against humanity. Because it's basically Cards Against Humanity, but with the Bible. Interesting. And the main reason why that one's okay and on our approved list and Cards Against Humanity is blocked is intention. It goes back to the same thing with the game day. The intention of Cards Against Humanity is how terrible a person can I be? And I'm not making that up. That's literally the stated purpose. Right. A Game for Good Christians does the same thing, and it does have you know, not the same. It doesn't push that far into, into the uncomfortable, but it does use curse words and it does, you know, use some uncomfortable stuff, but the purpose is to, to make people process and deal with parts of scripture. They don't want to deal with, or don't know are part of your Bible. Every card in there has a, a the, the verse reference on it. And so if you're sitting there going, what the, the heck is this? The one game I played Literally, it was myself and a bunch of people who are either current church leaders or uh, ex-church leaders. And there were times when even we had to be like, I don't know that verse. We're looking that crap up. And so in, yeah. and so intention does it, – it steers that. You're always trying to, to judge the games that you bring based on what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish. Because, again, you know, a game for good Christians, I brought it to Extra Life with me which is the 24 hour mm-hmm. game gaming marathon. Um, yes. I brought it to extra life. And one of the guys who's a college age guy who had been to a couple of our events before he walked up to me after they were done playing it. I didn't even play in that game, but I just, I saw them play it. And uh, he came up to me afterwards. He goes, I've opened my Bible more in the past two hours than I have in the past month because he was playing this card game. And I think that gets back to what we were talking about from that Patreon question of, you know, is there stuff that's, off limits and the answer is in the right context right eh, maybe not even on even yeah. even on our inroads approved list i put a caveat on that one saying you do have to evaluate this one this one's not just a straight up this is always good you should always be okay with this it is worth evaluating but yeah so you're evaluating the games you bring both for the content for the time it takes to play it 
for the complexity. Like if you're if you're dealing with a oh this is cute you guys play Monopoly and stuff. If that's your crew, do not bring the heavy hitters. Right. Yeah. Although by all means, pull Pandemic out because that crowd will love that. Oh, game. Pandemic is fantastic. Pandemic is one of my my go tos for for a game that people that that does have a level of complexity to it, but is very much approachable. Oh yeah. So you're judging, you know, the audience, you're judging all this stuff to try and and figure out what games will fit well. The number of people you're playing. If you're going to have an event where maybe 5 people come, you want to make sure that you have games that handle that. Likewise, if you have a game where 40 people come, you you need to make sure that you have stuff that hits on different levels. Like have a two-player game for the that couple that shows up later in the evening. Uh have a big uber game that literally gets everybody playing together i i would highly recommend two rooms and a boom which is which is a huge big crowd game oh yeah i got to play that with the tuesday night uh games guys uh, it was amazing I, I can only imagine playing with them that would be nuts because that game is nuts to begin with but again that one you want to make sure you have like a big ticket like get every, get the entire room playing kind of game but at the same point like when we did extra life at most, we had like 10 people. Mm-hmm. And somebody's like, let's play two rooms in a boom. And I'm like, uh, I mean, it's not impossible to play with 10 people, but do we really want to do that? <laughs> yeah, it's not quite suited for it. So you're- one thing I will throw out there real quick is that if you're doing something that's more RPG based than board game based. Yeah. The content of an RPG is dependent dependent entirely on the GM and the players. Right. Sure, there's the fluff and the setting of the game that's chosen and all that, but ultimately it's what you focus on. I can run a D&D game entirely suitable for my four-year-old or entirely unsuitable for 40-year-olds. Right. Yep. This is where some planning comes in. Registering games ahead of time is, I think, important if you're trying to be careful about the content that's there. And it's a good idea anyway. There are free tools to do this. We like ConPlanner because it's what... Fear the uh, Fear the Boot uses to run Fear the Con, and it's free. That's exciting. Yeah. Uh, and it's well-suited for slot-based games. But anything like that where people can sign up ahead of time will make your planning a whole lot simpler. Yeah. And especially if you want to, if you're in a place where you want to do role-playing games, especially if you're bringing outside GMs. Now, granted, if you're doing, like, you and your buddies are running games, you don't have to worry about that content. You know, you you guys will have gotten together beforehand to say, hey, we're trying to do this. But sure. if you're letting, you know, Joe, whoever come in and run a game, you want to, you know, not control that content. Like that's, that's a little bit strong, but to at least have an understanding that makes sure that they know these are the guidelines and you need to follow these. It lets you vet the game. It also, like you said, just for scheduling purposes, you got to set expectations, right? And again, it, it all comes down to the understanding of what the event's going to look like and what it feels like to be playing in it. Mm-hmm. Um, then there is once you once you get that done, you get to a lot of the practical elements like where are you going to where are you going to hold this? Because that also will feed into different things. Like if you're playing in a bar, you can't have a huge epic board game that takes up three tables. No, card games will be tough in a lot of cases. Right. So yeah. you have to you have to you know where you're going. Like I brought a bunch of my small box board games to a Starbucks. But even then I had to make sure that I got the right table at a Starbucks because mm-hmm. those little tiny rinky dink ones don't work. 
If you're in a confined space like that, do you have specific games or advice that you fall back on? Uh, it depends. Um, the There is a... Uh, a company that makes a lot of games that, and I'm not just saying this because I know the guy who runs the company who came out to Tavern Con a couple years ago, but Buttonshy Games, they entirely focus on wallet games. Like most of them are in the 16 to 20 card game. It literally does fit in your pocket. Um, those games are brilliant for small, tiny spaces because at full footprint, you're maybe looking at the size of a keyboard. And I'm talking like computer keyboard. Like that's yeah, if, not a piano. <laughs> yeah, no, no. This is if, if every card is out there, that's what you're looking at. So it doesn't have a big footprint. And the beautiful thing about those games is, is that I think that at most you're spending like 10 or $12. <laughs> most of them are cheaper to get those. And so not only is it cost efficient, it's also space efficient. So if you're worried about that, then there are games available to you. There are other stuff too. There's a lot of, there's an increase of solo gaming that's going on right now. And a lot of the solo, some of them take up a good chunk of space, but there are some of them that are really condensed. There's definitely a game out there to fit pretty much every situation. One of the considerations for the space that you have as well is, is it suitable for gaming at all? If you're trying to arrange something in a space that you maybe aren't intimately familiar with, like it's not your church, or you're renting out a hotel conference room, or Elks Lodge, or something like that, don't do it sight unseen, go in there, take a look at what's available, plan out your use of the space ahead of time, see what kind of tables are available, that sort of thing. You'll need to really put some time in on the logistics of it. Yeah, all that all that stuff, like I've often said that, that gaming events are a lot of front-end work. It's a lot of prep. It's a lot of of making sure you know what's going into this and making sure that, that all the pieces are in the right places. Once you do that, it's it's a turnkey event. You're basically there and watching it happen. The actual running of the event is super easy, and before you'll realize it, the whole thing will be over. It's just getting to that place. It's making sure that everything's how it's supposed to be that is the difficulty. So yeah, you do you do want to make sure if at all possible, yeah, definitely check out a space. If you don't know, it's better to be cautious than ambitious. If you don't know okay. what you're getting into, you do want to play it safe. You don't bring your games that push the boundaries. You don't bring, you know, a game that will eat an entire table because you don't know if you're going to have that table. You're not going to bring games like Escape, which require it's a, a live action, play it as it goes kind of game that requires a CD. If you don't know you're going to have something to play that CD, don't bring Escape. Right. Or if you don't have a room to do that in where it won't disturb everyone else. Right. You know, if you don't know, and this this goes with everything, maybe it's, I learned this just because I've spent years doing like public speaking and stuff. But if you don't know the room, don't plan on a thing being there set up and prep in your mind as if nothing is there because if you get there and you find out there is a thing there you can use it but if you plan on a thing being there and it's not there it will wreck you <laughs> one of the other things about the facilities that you need to think about food and drink is it allowed is it provided is it something you uh, are paying extra for how does that work you know if you're doing a short event maybe it's no matter, right? You're not expecting anyone to, to bring anything in. And I don't know if someone's got a granola bar in their purse. Cool, whatever. 
if you're looking at a longer game day, maybe you need to prepare some snacks or see about having pizza set out. Is that allowed? What, you know, is there a special place for that? Are there extra costs? These things all kind of factor in. Yeah. Something to be aware of and think of ahead of time so that you don't suddenly realize everybody has left your game to go get food. Right. You, you want to be understanding of the fact that these are people. They have all the same needs that you do. Like, yeah, you might be able, you might be so amped up about this event that you don't need food. Uh, I've had those where, like, just at Extra Life, I found myself, it was something around 6 o'clock p.m. before I realized I hadn't had anything to drink all day. Like, you just, you just in it, and you're like, yeah, okay, I'm excited. But then you got to realize that not everybody is at that level. <laughs> yeah. Not everyone has been dealing with the adrenaline of getting this thing to a reality. Well, and when the adrenaline wears off in the situation you described, you're like, eh, now dehydration is my friend. Exactly. <laughs> so you need to be able to understand, like, how long are they here for? If they're here for a couple of hours, you can maybe get a bag of chips and you'll be fine. If they're right. there for 10, 12, 24 hours, you best plan multiple meals and some snacks and some drinks and, you know, make sure that there's proper, all the proper facilities that everyone's going to need you might need you know to make sure that you have a power outlet for any kind of phone because especially nowadays modern gaming a lot of them uh have some kind of app integration so you're going to want to make sure that your phone is legit like there's a lot of stuff that you need to take into consideration when doing this on that practical level a couple other notes and we're running a little long and i apologize but i i have this effect on you guys you do that's yeah we like talking to you Staffing. Mm-hmm. This is probably not going to be paid staff. Let's be honest. It's hashtag nonprofit life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you need to make sure you've got sufficient volunteers helping you out. Mm-hmm. Uh, friends and family obviously are a good place to start. If this is a an event put on for someone, see if they can provide volunteers and make sure that those volunteers are well educated as to what's going on. They don't necessarily have to be gamers. I have found, but they need to be able to at least help people get started. One one thing that I do, and if somebody comes up to me and says, I want to be a volunteer, there's a couple things that I will say up front. I say, one, you are here to work. Yes, this work is a lot of fun. Yes, this work is really entertaining, but it's still work. So if you're here as a volunteer, when myself as the guy running the event says, I need you to go do a thing kindly go do the thing. You need to be prepared to just get up and do the thing. Because when you're dealing with something that is this kind of fun environment, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm just here to to hang out with my buddies and play games and stuff. And no, that's not why you're here. Well, and if you want to do that, that's allowed, but then don't be a volunteer. You're not a volunteer, you're an attender. Right. And maybe you can be a more helpful attendee than usual. Right. But if you're wearing an Inroads Ministry shirt or a Saving the Game shirt, we have shirts. (laughs) <laughs> we do. Or a local convention shirt or whatever. Not only are you responsible in terms of like individual people's enjoyment of that event, you're also representing that event. Right. And you need to make sure that the people you've chosen to represent you as the person running it are people you want doing that. Right. And again, you may not have first pick of everyone you would love to have helping you out, but make sure that the people you do have are engaged and are actually helping. And to flip that a little bit, if you are one of those people 
it, it behooves you and it helps the person who you are helping to try and take what you are doing at least as seriously as the person who's organized the event. Yeah. More, if you can pull it off, frankly. The other thing I do with uh, the staff that comes in, I go, look, if you're volunteering and you I, I actually have a distinction, if you want to volunteer just to, to help, you know, serve food or make sure everything's where it's supposed to be or whatever. I have very few requirements for those people. They are literally just there helping make things run. The fact that they're willing to do that, I, I want to like just give them a cookie and say thank you. People who come in, normally what I refer to them as game leaders, the people who are there representing the ministry and are there to get people together and get people to the table. Those people I do have re- kind of requirements for, but they're they're still not too hardcore because again, they are volunteers. I want them to know that what they're doing is serious and important, but at the same point, I don't want to make it so hard that no one wants to do it. Yeah, I mean, you you are running a game convention you're not working a secret service protective detail right so what i usually end up doing is is that before the the event ever happens i say this is the list of games i'm bringing whether that's the full list or a selection i will say this is what's happening these are the games that will be present and i say as a game leader you need to be comfortable with at the drop of a hat you need to be able to teach at least three of these because i want them to be able to at least have something in their pocket that they can pull out and say, I'm comfortable with this game and I can show you how to play it. When I did some volunteer work at Electric City Comic Con a couple months ago, got there a bit early to kick off the gaming section. And I spent that time, you know, doing some basic setup, setting out games, helping uh, the vendor who was kind of up there get set up, that sort of thing. And then all the time I was waiting before the convention officially opened, I was reading game manuals and looking through components. Yep. I'd never seen some of these games before, but I was trying my best to learn enough that I could help people get started and at the very least knew where to look up information in the game manual when a question arose. That's an important skill, and that's something that I was just going to say that, so so thank you for the segue. Just because you don't know how a game works when you open the box... I generally tell people you need to be at least comfortable enough with the way game manuals work that within a few minutes of sitting down to read it, you'll be able to at least pick up the general understanding of what the game is like. Because of the fact that I've played so many different types of game and because I've sat down at tables for years now, uh, even if I've never even heard of it, in fact, uh, again, with Extra Life, Extra Life is where I get most of my gaming in because I don't have to lead that. It just kind of happens. You know, when I when I sat down at, at Extra Life, we were playing a game called Saloon Tycoon, and I'd, I'd only heard the title. I'd, I didn't know anything about the game, didn't know anything about how it played. But within three minutes, I could tell you exactly how that game's played. Now, I wasn't any good at it, but I could at least tell you the basic functions of a turn. Okay, And so being able to do that, to be at least familiar with the process of, okay, I know that the setup will be in the front of the book. I know that there will be a section dedicated to what your turn looks like. There will be a section dedicated to the end game. Like, how do you win? Because that's literally what people want to know. They want, how do I set this up? They want to know, what do I do on my turn? And they need to know, how do I win? Being able to do that in a matter of minutes, the rest of the stuff can fill in. And even if you get the rules wrong, at least you'll be at a functional level. 
So that's an important skill that you make sure that the people that are, are leading games at your event need to know that even if they don't know this game, they need to be able to parse a rule book. That's a good point. Last two things I want to touch on. First of them is communication. Mm -hmm. I am a manager in my day job. I will tell you one of the secrets of management is over communication. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know that annoys people sometimes, but I need to stay on top of what's going on to make sure that everything in my department is running well. And I need to make sure that nobody feels left out of the loop, feels at a loss for what to do, and feels like I don't have their back. Mm -hmm. Those are all important. On the other end of the spectrum, you also want nobody to feel like you aren't watching. <laughs> well, there's that. But from a positive perspective, I want to make sure that they are comfortable and have all of the resources they need to do their job. Now, I take the same approach with customers, and this is why we have a 100% satisfaction rating in my support department. My general stance is that I do my absolute best, unless I am specifically waiting on something from, you know, one of my team members or another department or something like that. I don't leave support tickets in a state where they are waiting on me to respond. Right. Right. On a regular basis, I'm following up. Do you need anything? Are things working now? Has there been any progress? You know, were you able to investigate this or that? You know, whatever it is. These are all technical questions, but the point is, don't be afraid to over-communicate, especially at the start, and make sure that everything is kept clearly, and make sure everything is recorded so that you can go back and look at it. If you're doing phone calls or visits, take copious notes. Otherwise, honestly, do everything by email so you can search through it. It works remarkably well. There's a reason when I set up a guest appearance, and I didn't do this for you, Mike, because you know what you're doing. You're, you've been here before. Not my first time at the rodeo. Yeah. No. But, not even your first time at this rodeo. It's true. But for every other guest appearance, and in fact, I did this for your second one as well, I have about a page-long email that I send. Mm -hmm. I, I customize it to make sure that it's not a form letter. But the bottom half of it is kind of just boilerplate about, all right, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is how we do things. It's got some of our basic rules, like no politics, don't be a jerk, things like that. Yeah, we have a clean rating. Please respect that. Please be careful. In fairness, I think I've only had to bleep myself. <laughs> oh, no, I think, didn't we have to bleep Katrina? Yeah, we had to bleep Katrina, and I think we might have also had to bleep one of the pastors we had on once. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Blast those pastors. You can't trust them. <laughs> Oh, pastors. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I usually just say I've only had to bleep myself, which is largely true. But, you know, things like that. Basically, look, here's everything you need to know laid out. If you have any questions, please contact me immediately. I'll be happy to answer them to the best of my ability. Open it up, make it very obvious that I am there to communicate. When you are collaborating with multiple people, make sure that they stay in the loop there are a lot of different tools to use for this. Mm -hmm. Email is a common one. It's not always the best. If you need to do a lot of planning, a Google Doc that everyone has access to works great. Uh, Trello, Evernote. Anymore, there is a litany of productivity apps that you can get. Um, there's uh, one that I use for communication with teams uh, called GroupMe. It'll either use text messaging or email or something that, that they use to just blast a message to every person in the group. Yep. Game to Grow uses Slack, and that works well. Slack is works another one. Great. 
Uh, if you've got a regular team that does a lot with social media, setting up Hootsuite teams is a great idea because you communi- can communicate within Hootsuite. Uh, Hootsuite is basically a um, a service that lets you manage multiple social media accounts across multiple platforms. It's how I live. Oh, yeah. And I do it, too, for saving the game. If you ever see anything that's shared with the uh, ow.ly domain, Owly, that's coming from Hootsuite. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the t.co, which is Twitter's own uh, URL shortener. You know, we use that because I can say, all right, I want to use this image for this post, and I want it to go out to this and this, and then here's a separate one for Twitter because the character limit matters and it doesn't show images. Click, change the text, done. Click, change the text, done. It's shared out across all of our social media platforms. But there's also messaging built into that, so there were multiple of us, uh, rather than just like Peter and I who honestly use Facebook Messenger most of the time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, you know, if there were multiple people and we were scheduling things like, you know, hey, we need to make sure that we get a Facebook post out about this event every week and then in the days leading up to it, you know, every day, I can message everyone in the team and say, all right, you know, do we have this ready? Do we have this ready? Okay, cool. This post is going up here. We're missing this. Can we please get that? You know, whatever tool you use, make sure that you're communicating copiously. Not to the point where people feel overmanaged, but you need to be able to be able to get information when you need it. And frankly, people feel better with somebody who talks and asks for feedback and communicates regularly and quickly than somebody who takes three days to respond. Right. Yeah. Uh, One other thing that I do want to throw in here just to kind of set the record straight on something, the whole let them know that you're watching thing is can sound a little negative, but that also means that you are there to catch them if something goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. So it's to use like kind of fantasy analogies. Yeah. The, the cruel taskmaster with a whip is standing there watching the people under them. But so is the guy up in the watchtower waiting to see if there's a fire on the horizon. Well, as a manager, part of my job is to make sure that my team is working efficiently. Yeah. Part of my job is to be the person who my team escalates to when things go wrong and to be the guy the customers yell at instead of my team. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and that's the job I get paid for. I am the person people are unhappy at, not the rest of my team. There have been times when uh, people are talking about, like, should we run this game or should we do this or or what should we do to handle this? And I've said, I've basically ruled on it and I go, I go, do this. And if anybody complains about it, you send them to me. Yep. That's exactly right. Make sure that they know that it is okay to do that. Right. Uh, Because, again, it it creates a certain level of trust and accountability. Uh, Last thing I want to mention, and this is going to sound really obvious and probably is obvious to everyone, but clean up when you're done. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I know that sounds silly, but if it's a, a rented facility or a space that you have been given for a few hours or something like that, stick around and clean up. You're going to be tired. It's going to feel rough, but pack it up. Make sure it's just like you left it. Be a good guest. Be a good guest. That's exactly yeah, right. At a bare at a bare minimum, you want to do that because obviously, you know, we're going to say you need to do that just because it's important. But the other, just on a, a purely practical element, if you ever want to use that space again, if you leave it trashed, they're going to tell you no. <laughs> and if you leave it slightly better than you found it, they will have no hesitation letting you back and may even bend over backwards to make sure you can come back. Mike, Peter, anything else that you want to throw out there? No, I mean, like I said, most of it is just front end. It's establishing what the game's what the game day is going to look like, what its purpose is, 
And once you get that, the rest of it just kind of happens. The practical elements are actually the easiest things generally to to fix and to make work. You know, before we let you go, why don't we take just a couple of minutes, and I know we're long, but uh, what are some common issues that will come up during the time of the game day? And how do you deal with those? Because that's probably something that at least a few of our listeners who have this in mind are screaming at their iPods right now. Hey, what happens if something goes awry during the event? Can you address that for a moment? If something goes wrong during the event, it depends on the level of wrong we're talking about. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, a fire and running out of pizza are two different things, that's obviously, exa- yeah. but... Um, the biggest thing is to just be calm and address each issue as it comes up. Uh, don't let things kind of fester or, oh, that's not a big deal. If somebody is thinking that whatever the issue is, is big enough to bring it to your attention, it's at least worthy of that attention. Normally people are, are all focused on their games or their conversations or whatever, but if somebody goes out of their way to say, hey, by the way, this is a thing, you're generally in an area that you need to, even if, if all you need to say is it's not a problem, if you need to be that voice that says it's not a thing, you need to at least at a bare minimum take that time to evaluate and say, no, it's okay, this isn't a thing. Because it's on their mind. It's distracting them from what they're doing. And nobody wants that. Anything particular, like I said, it, it's going to be on a case-by-case basis because uh, so much of running these game days are about the people playing them. All we do is the people who run the event are setting the stage. So if you have people who are generally good-mannered and good-willed and, and everyone's just there to have fun, it will be the smoothest event you'll ever run. If you're talking about dealing with alpha gamers and whatever, uh, or you're dealing with people who just kind of stumbled in and don't know what this event is, but they just, you know, are there to cause problems, it's going to be more of, a, of an issue. I would say that the biggest thing, and this goes for conflict resolution just anywhere, is to always be just calm and direct. Uh, if a thing is going wrong, you need to be the person who is the the stability there. And you just kind of move into it. You just kind of, like, I've never had anything major happen that I've been worried about. I, I'm very thankful to that. I'm I'm very, very thankful for that as of right now. But um, you just have to be the one who is keeping that level head because stuff will eventually happen. Uh, you know, as much as I say I'm thankful that nothing has, I'm always prepared for something to go wrong. So you just kind of just take the breath, say, all right, what's the issue? And you just move through it. You deal with it and you move through it. Ideally, you make it to the point where everybody else feels like they can get back to the games that they were playing. Okay. I think we can wrap it up there uh, yeah. with perhaps one final reminder that you are doing this to have fun. So don't lose sight of the fact that you're doing something awesome with good people, even while you're planning all this and, you know, pulling hair out, making sure that you've got enough tables. Right. So there we go. Well, Mike, thanks for joining us. This has been really good. Oh, I, I love it. I'm always up for, you know, hanging out with you guys and doing an episode. Yeah. Good, because we're going to have you on again, I'm sure. Always a pleasure to have you, Mike. Episode 132, right? Yes. Yeah. my math right on this? <laughs> yep. That okay. would be another 33 episodes. Maybe a little before then. <laughs> awesome. Mike, thanks again. Uh, real quick, where can people find Inroads Ministries and Game Store Profits? Uh, pretty much the home for everything that we end up doing is on our website, either 
directly on the website or there's a link to it on the website. It's inroadsministries.com. That's I-N-N roadsministries.com because all roads lead to the inn. I'm on Twitter at inroads. I'm on Instagram at inroads. That's the bulk of where you're going to end up finding me. I'm on Board Game Geek. If you're on that website, uh, I'm, I'm inroads Mike over there. I'm trying to think of anything else that uh, uh, we should talk about the tavern. We should talk about the tavern. Uh, that's that's among the things that you can find. It's on the front page of our website. Uh, the tavern is our Facebook group. Uh, it is the the home of our growing community. I think we are up to three hundred and twenty something people. Uh, in our Facebook group right now, and they are my favorite part of the internet. They have been my sanctuary during all the craziness. And uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm super happy with our community. I, I love those folks, and so glad that I get to be the guy who gets put, you know, quote unquote, in charge over there. That is a very nice crowd. Yeah, it's great people. I'll I'll be honest. A lot of the stuff that we post on social media comes from people posting interesting things in the tavern. Mike and plenty of other people who aren't admins there. They're just part of the community. No, it like, like all growing communities, it started off where everything was just me. And then it was me and a couple of our admins. And we've gotten to a point where while granted, a lot of them are coming from the same handful of core people. Uh, we, we will see a bunch of different stuff. A lot of people are contributing. A lot of people are posting things and I'm super happy with that community. Awesome. Well, from all of us here at Saving the Game and in Roads Ministries, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. This podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, non-derivative license, so long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless and happy gaming.